The Sacramento News and Review, of course, is familiar to listeners to this program. We have uh, talked to uh, several of its reporters and most recently spoke with editor Tom Walsh a few weeks back in regard to our uh, Gary Webb tribute program. There is an article from the Sacramento Business Journal dated November 5th, 2004 that caught my eye that I wanted uh, to return to. It has to do with uh, a little tiff, I guess you might say, between the News and Review and um, the Sacramento Bee. And joining us to talk about this issue is Sacramento News and Review President and CEO Jeff Von Kainel. Welcome to Radio Parallax, Jeff. Well, thank you very much, Doug. What, uh, what is going on here between you guys and the Bee? Well, we've, we've, we've had an antagonistic relationship with the Bee since our very beginning 15 years ago, but um, they've recently, over the in, through 2004, really upped the ante in terms of um, going to our clients, or more in, in more in particular categories of clients that we tend to be very strong in, uh, restaurants, nightclubs, adult business, and cutting their rates by 80%. That's right, 80%. To basically try to, to what we think is a, it's a bold move to try to take us out of business. Well, it would seem so. I, I, I noticed that uh, that uh, you guys fought back, even in the article, it talked about how you sent out a, a notice to the bees. Uh, uh, advertisers noting that uh, noting the discrepancy between what they were paying and what certain select people were paying. Yeah, if you can imagine the uh, interest in clients that were paying a thousand dollars for the record rates in the B, and then seeing that clients in categories that we tend to be strong in only having to pay two hundred dollars for the same size ad. It's um, we were trying to get that information out because, I mean, obviously it's the bee is 50 times bigger than we are. You know, if we let the bee kind of just come at us this way, we'll be in danger. And so, but if I can get the word out about the kind of tactics the bees are using, and then getting their clients to respond, which I think we hopefully can, then you know I can um, withstand this assault. Yeah, the article the new in the uh, the business journal noted that the publisher of the Bee, Janice Besler Heafy, said the new move was not a bid to take out the weekly, but only part of a focused effort to get more readers and advertisers to the paper's ticket entertainment section, which sounds rather unlikely. Well, I mean, if they really want to get readers to the ticket section, which is what they're talking about, is that then why don't they hire some more reporters? Why don't they beef up the coverage? Why don't they do things to make their product better and compete in a reasonable, fair way, as opposed to basically doing uh, uh, an act which I I consider, in my opinion, unfair, um, is to lower your rates by 80%, which I I hope is below their average cost, (laughs) uh, in, in, in a way to try to take somebody else out of business. Well, apparently this sort of, uh, it's described as predatory pricing to knock off a competitor in the article. A, a local attorney, Jeff Galvin, said that's, uh, that's not something that you can really do, although it's kind of hard to prove. Well, it's one of those things where it's, it would, to me, form the classic predatory pricing um, campaign. Now, but we operate within the legal system of America, which would essentially be, I would go bankrupt trying to prove a case, and um, since the B has so much more money than I do, the last thing I want to do is get involved in a legal battle with them, so I'd rather fight it out in the marketplace, and that's what we're doing, and is by sending letters to their clients saying, just basically, here's the rate that my people are paying. We thought you might be interested in that, and ask the question of why is the B willing to do this, and it's because 
we now reach more 18 to 34 year olds that regularly read the um, news and review than read the front section of the B. So, uh, nearly as many 18 to 49 year olds regularly read the news and review than read the front section of the B. Yeah. And we are much more efficient about bringing in advertisers. I think there's also a public policy issue here. It, it, not just, I mean, besides for one uh, business practices like you know a Walmart would do to kind of a small independent. The other issue is uh, is a really a First Amendment issue, where attention, of course, goes to people like like Ashcroft and the Attorney General's office and kind of their threats to the First Amendment. I think the biggest threat to the First Amendment in America right now is not the Attorney General's office, but rather it's other media using their economic voices power to try to stomp out different voices. And we're seeing that in you know with the consolidation of media, and we're seeing it in these kind of practices, which if they go to their logical extent, will really wipe out independent media. Well, that's a huge issue with us. We've certainly tried to sound the trumpet for a, a need for, for more independent media, and uh, and we think you guys do good work and hope you can keep it up. Well, thank you so much, and, and thanks so much for the stuff that you're doing, too. It really makes a difference here. Let's do a follow-up on this in, in a few months and see where this has all led. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about that time, about uh, how you've come to town from Chico and, and spreading into Reno and have, and have managed to do quite well. Oh, okay. We're in April. We have our um, sweet 16th birthday. It's coming of age for <laughs> us here at the News Review. Okay. Well, thank you so much, Doug. All right, Jeff. Thank all right. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. I mentioned at the top of the show that I flew down uh, to Southern California last week, and um, I, I did so to attend a conference titled Pain, Palliation, and Politics, Pain Management and End-of-Life Care in California's Regulatory Environment. It was sponsored by the California Medical Association. Also, UC Davis Health System Continuing Medical Education in cooperation with the UC Irvine College of Medicine Continuing Medical Education and the City of Hope Cancer Center. They uh, they did a pretty good job with a conference, a conference that uh, is needed to fulfill uh, some legal requirements that California physicians become better aware of the options in pain management and uh, and to encourage people to exercise those options. I don't do a lot of medicine on this show, but uh, I, I probably should once in a while, being that, you know, I do have an MD degree. And I think uh, today's show will do a little bit of that. Um, one topic that's near and dear to my heart, and, and I'm sure is near and dear to the hearts of 85% of you out there, is low back pain. Um, 85% of the population has it at one point or another, and it's the rare person uh, who is uh, is never bothered by it. Um, some interesting statistics I, I think are worthy of, of sharing with you. Well, first of all, it is an extremely common diagnosis. Uh, it Among the 17 to 44-year-old age group, it's the sixth most common uh, reason people go see a doctor. Okay, under 17 to 44, number six. Age 45 to 64, it's the fifth most common reason, and at age over 65, in spite of the numerous other health complaints of the elderly population, it still ranks number eight. If you uh, go see your doctor for this, don't feel bad if he's not in a big rush to order x-rays. It turns out that um, 
85% of patients with back pain cannot be given a definitive diagnosis, despite uh, all the modern uh, marvels of testing that we have out there, because in fact there's a weak association between symptoms and the pathological changes that you can see on imaging. So x-rays are not considered necessary until two months have elapsed and, and you still have pain. During one of the conference presentations, a video was shown of a physician who, uh, who was describing the sorts of things that those of you who have back pain, uh, you know, will be no stranger to. An inability to bend over and do the dishes, uh, being awkward, uh, just something that started out of the blue. He was working out in the gym, bent over, picked up a towel, and something popped in his back, and he had, he was just in misery after that. This first happened to me when I was 24 years of age, and I was absolutely stunned at the degree of disability that resulted. It was hard to roll over in bed. You're feeling like you're about 97 years old, and you know, you're in your 20s. You know that something's wrong. But I think you might take comfort in knowing that three weeks into uh, episodes of back pain, 70% of people will resolve. Uh, 12 weeks into back pain, 90% of people will resolve. But this video showed a physician who, after about three months, went to go see a back specialist who said, look, you've got a bulging disc. We better do a, a procedure called a laminectomy, see if we can help. Well, as a result, there were complications. He's had nerve damage as a consequence. And uh, the moral of the story for him was, you know, I should have given conservative measures a little more time. And this probably is a good guiding principle. What was described in the conference as probably the greatest discovery of the past 30 years in the management of back pain was the following. Continuing ordinary activities within the limits permitted by the pain leads to more rapid recovery than either bed rest or exercises. In other words, going about your business and hurting, but doing what you have to do is probably the best course of action. It doesn't mean that you don't take Motrin. Uh, it mean, doesn't mean that you don't take aspirin or Tylenol. Uh, it doesn't mean that you don't, uh, you know, try and do some exercises and things. But it's that you don't stop your normal activity because you're having so much trouble with your back. And uh, and bed rest has been discovered to be just, just you know, maybe a day or two, maybe a day or two of bed rest if you can, if it helps you. But any time you spend in bed after that is going to be debilitating because you quickly decondition, your muscles uh, are, are lose their strength, and you wind up worse off than where you started. So, uh, you know, bed rest is something you've heard about as, as uh, a mainstay of treatment for back pain, and it, it just ain't so. Um, a personal pet peeve of mine uh, for someone who's had back pain for decades now is that uh, you see these diagrams of these flexion exercises. They show how you get on the floor and you basically do these sort of sit-up-like things, bring your knee to your chest. Well, if you tried this, chances are you found it was not very effective. And studies have shown that it very definitely is not effective and may be harmful. And I've never, I've just never understood the logic when they say, well, you know, you build up your stomach muscles and it's good for your back. Wait a minute. If your back muscles are tweaked and you build up the muscles that are countering them, how is that supposed to help you? I never got it. And by practical application, I learned it doesn't work for me. Well, studies have shown it doesn't work for most people either. One thing that does work is trying to do extension exercises. Um, and, and a man named McKenzie, uh, rather funny story, apparently discovered this when he, um, 
was busy, had a patient come in with back pain, and told him, well, just go in there and, and, and just lie down on, on the bed. Well, he'd had the bed um, cranked up so that it was, you know, you would sit in it and your back would be supported. Well, this guy got in and laid on it face down so that his back was bent backwards. When the doctor finally got around to seeing him a half hour later, the guy got off the bed and said, Doc, thanks, I feel much better now. And the guy realized something's up with this. And uh, Mackenzie soon learned that ex- exercises that extend your back are really, uh, really can be helpful. I, uh, you know, when I could stand it, sometimes I would go out in the kayak, which was really difficult and awkward, but really worked your back. And I found that that or the upright row machine sometimes, or certainly the extension uh, uh, machinery in, in, the, um, in the gym, uh, are the ticket. That's what builds up your back faster and, and, is, and is, uh, is a great help. Now, when it comes to medication, uh, you know, I'm going to do like Dr. Dina Dell uh, does and suggest that you consult your physician. Um, but studies have shown that variants of the, med- the meds that are used for back pain uh, do have a role to play. Uh, and I want to be very cautious about my wording and, and how, I, how I express myself about this. But... The use of uh, what are called non-steroidal anti-inflammatory agents, your, your Motrin, um, your Aleve, um, can, you know, especially with heavy use, lead to complications medically and can result in a number of deaths across the country. They estimate probably that these medications, useful though they may be, probably result in 16,000 people dying in the United States every year. By comparison, the narcotics, for example, OxyContin, for all of the uh, the uh, the stink over its use and misuse with people like uh, Rush Limbaugh, uh, is by comparison a relatively much safer drug, with perhaps only two or three cases of people dying from it in the U.S. in a given year. Admittedly, it's used by you know significantly fewer people, but uh, in the punchline of this is that uh, the, the opioid medications uh, known as narcotics to law enforcement uh, officials. Uh, are actually very good medications. Morphine is still is still the gold standard in pain relief. It's the 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 opioids are the only medications proven to be effective in short term and long term pain management. And part of this conference was to really stress that to we physicians who. Uh, have decided, you know, we don't want to mess with the DEA, we don't want to get in trouble, and if it comes down to my license or your suffering, well, you know, I might just in the gray area go with my license over your suffering. And uh, this is a shame, this is wrong, and um, law enforcement has uh, served notice to tell us they're not going to be, res- you know, they're not going to be prosecuting people unless something is really, really out of line. I, and and I, and I think physicians are willing to take them at their word, and I look forward to seeing, you know, really more proper use of, of medications that really are, you know, the gold standard in pain management. So if you've got back pain, you may find in the future that, uh, that one of the opioids uh, may be useful. Tylenol is often overlooked. It does, uh, it's not an anti-inflammatory, but it does uh, give good pain relief. The various non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, uh, you know, definitely have a role to play. And, you know, the, what's going to happen with Vioxx, uh, you know, um, Celebrex, uh, is probably still unclear at this point, but uh, certainly the general class of anti-inflammatories is, is very valuable. Um, I don't think I want to get into some of the drugs, muscle relaxants, tramadol. This is not a medical program, and it's just I'm, I'm always reluctant to go there because 
a little bit of information can sometimes cause a lot of trouble. But really, um, it's going to be a very good thing in the future that uh, that we're going to see you know more liberal use of, of valuable and necessary drugs to treat pain. And uh, you know, lest any of you call in asking about uh, chiropractic, well, the conference uh, the conference position on it was that uh, that it works. If you don't have serious nerve impingement, that manipulation by chiropractors and manipulation by physical therapists definitely has a role to play. Uh, in my own limited experience with chiropractors, I have found that uh, some of them are pretty good and uh, some of them are quacks. And uh, that's, I think, all I'm going to say on the subject. Well, as long as we're doing a little bit of medical topic, uh, let, let's, let's go to Discover Magazine 100 Top Stories in Science for 2004. And... Um, well, the studies are in, and although millions of men in America over age 50 rely on what's called a prostate-specific antigen test, or PSA, uh, to, to see whether you maybe you're developing an early prostate cancer, this test is apparently doing more harm than good. People get tested, they, get turned, they, they find that they're positive, and they wind up getting treatment sometimes with radiation or surgery that is probably more aggressive than the situation warranted. And now looking back on it, they've decided that uh, this test has probably promoted people getting a, a diagnosis and treatment that, again, did more harm than good. So doesn't mean you shouldn't get the test. Means you're going to have to reevaluate its use and, 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 you know, other testing in regard to checking the prostate, which if you're over 50, you know, you need to get that done. In fact, if you've got it in your family, you probably should have it done in your 40s. It's, uh, you know, uh, it's a... Very common cancer among uh, among we men, and um, don't neglect getting checked. And uh, let's let's end our segment with uh, with this, where where history meets medicine. Uh, number ninety six story in Discover magazine was the apparent truth that it appears that Vladimir Lenin died at age fifty three, back in nineteen twenty four, uh, probably not of arterial sclerosis, but syphilis. There were rumors at the time, and uh, people have taken a look now at the official records and documents released after the fall of US of the USSR, and concluded that it looks pretty suspicious. He, um, he was given the standard treatments at the time for syphilis along the way. When the autopsy was done, they didn't mention any characteristic findings for syphilis in the autopsy, but it appears that this uh, failed to quell rumors because only eight of Lenin's 27 physicians agreed to sign the document. There was only one drug specifically uh, used to treat syphilis at that time. It was called Salversan, and they gave it to Lenin before he died. Um, his doctors also used potassium iodine which was the custom for treating syphilis at the time. So I got to say, it looks kind of suspicious. Back then, if you, uh, if you got syphilis, it could be a very devastating disease, as it can be to this day. Fortunately, it's very easily treatable and um, has uh, been minimized, but has never gone away. I think, uh, you know, in this case, it may have changed history. Winston Churchill said about Lenin that uh, probably the Soviet Union's greatest tragedy was the arrival of Lenin on the scene to take them into communism, but that probably its second greatest tragedy was his premature death after Lenin, who was an intelligent man, looked around, realized that some of the aspects of communism were not working so well, and he wanted to change things. But, uh, but he died, and the Soviet Union instead got Joseph Stalin in his place. Let us take a break. I'm Douglas Everett, this is Radio Parallax, and you're listening to KDVS 90.3 FM, Davis, Sacramento.